0: I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We continue to work our way through this letter. And we have had a lot of good times as we've worked through this letter. If we have been celebrating this extravagant grace of God in Christ and, and how amazing it is for us Uh, by being united to Christ by faith, that that we have been drawn into Christ and that Christ is drawn into us. And through Christ, we are drawn into into the life, love, and mission of the Trinity. This is truly amazing. Today is probably not going to be as much as you could probably already pick up from Uh, what we have been looking at through the service so far, Uh, today Paul goes from encouraging uh, to meddling because he's going to talk about how we use our mouths. He's going to talk about um, how we speak and what we say um, as believers uh, who were united to Christ? So let's read this morning. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians four twenty-five through thirty-two. Um, uh, Paul doesn't provide a clear flow through this paragraph. It's he. It, 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 this is he. he kind of talks like I do. And he says something, then says something else, comes back to the first thing, goes back to the second thing, comes back around, and then says something new. It's really fun um, if you're disorganized like I am and the way my brain works. But most of you have very, uh, very uh, well-functioning brains that like to go one to the next to the next. So we are not going to attempt to cover everything in this paragraph today. We are going to hit on Uh, this emphasis that Paul has about the use of our tongue. So we continue this theme of, of putting off the old, putting on the new with our words. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Our Heavenly Father, impress upon us this morning just how grand our new nature in Jesus Christ is, because between the the putting off of the old and putting on of the new, Father, it is the old that is so easy for us to recognize. It is the old that is so easy for us to be affected by. And yet, Lord, when it comes to the use of our mouths, it is an area in which we need so much help to put on the new and to speak as those in whom Christ resides, as those who have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Father, may the bouquet of the heavenly places not only uh, perfume the words of this sermon, but may they indeed uh, come to fill our lives, that our very words would be uh, would be able to express uh, just how glorious your new creation is. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why such a big deal about words? Why such a big deal about speaking? Why is this the first specific sin that Paul addresses? Do you realize that throughout this letter so far, Paul has been speaking in these very broad generalities, and he has been doing so on on purpose because he is trying to communicate this this breadth and depth of of what it means to no longer be in Adam, but to now be in Christ. And with the calling that we have to live as those in Christ— Empowered by the eternal grace of God to live up to who He counts us to be in Christ. With every bit of fuel, with every bit of encouragement, with every bit of capacity and grace, He gives us what we need before he tells us what to do with it. And very specifically now, he is starting to delve into details for us, for us as new creatures in Jesus Christ. And the first thing he does is he talks about how we speak in the words that are spoken. Why such a big deal and such an emphasis on words? Well, in the film adaptation of uh, John Patrick Shanley's play, Doubt, a Parable. If you've seen the play or if you've seen the movie, it is a, there is a very powerful presentation Of why there needs to be such an emphasis upon words. What happens is there is this woman uh, who has been gossiping about a man that she doesn't know. And she is Catholic, so she goes to her her Catholic priest and, and tells him, I was gossiping about this person. But then she asks her priest, Is gossip a sin? You know, is it a big deal? So he tells her, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. And when you get home, I want you to grab a pillow, and I want you to go up to the roof of your apartment building. And when you get up to the roof, I want you to take a knife, I want you to cut the pillow open, and I want you to shake it. Once you've done that, come back and see me. So she goes home. She grabs her pillow. Uh, this is set in the, in the 50s, if I remember correctly. Um, and so she takes her feather pillow up onto the roof. She cuts it open. She starts shaking it violently so that everything will come out. And then she goes back to her priest. And he says, well, tell me, what happened when you did that? And she said, Feathers feathers everywhere, and the wind picked them up, and they just scattered. And he said, good. Now, go back and pick up every one of those feathers. That's right, Keith. I wish y'all could have seen what I just saw in Keith's face. You can't do it. It's impossible. And she says that to her priest. It's impossible. I can't find all of them. The wind took them. And he said, that is gossip. And it's not just gossip. It's every and any word that comes out of your mouth. Here's the good thing. Not just the bad words but also the good words. Words are powerful because they have their origin in the triune God himself. The first words that are spoken into this creation are God's words, let there be, I know we're Presbyterians, but we can talk in the service, let there be and there was light. This creative power of God's words to speak something into existence. And the rest of the creation week, he goes through more details in which, if you were to sum up the details that come after let there be life, the, the, the summary would be let there be life let there be light and let there be life and within this light and within this life of God as as he is creating and as he is structuring and as he is is filling what he is doing he creates man in his own image and the only thing in that creation week that we are told of that there that also reflects God's ability to speak is Adam. None of the other creatures could speak and use words. It is only Adam who is created in God's image. And do you know what the first word of man is within creation? Whoa. Not Fonzie. But Adam sees Eve as God has made her, and as God now, like a father, walking his bride down the, the aisle to, to her husband. God brings her before Adam, and Adam's initial response is, Whoa. This is someone who corresponds to me. And she says, You had me at woe. Actually, she doesn't say anything there. But she does speak in Genesis 3. And what's interesting is that in her first words that she speaks, she has the truth of God, and yet it's a little bit muddied. She adds just a little bit to what God has said. God has said, you may freely eat of all the trees of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree that is at the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and as the serpent comes and is tempting Eve, she says, well, God said that we can freely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the garden in the center, we are not to eat of it or touch it. She adds a little something there. We don't know where it came from, More than likely, it came from Adam himself, who as a man probably even then wasn't a great listener in terms of listening to God, and he probably wasn't a good communicator even back then. But she adds just a little bit. And and what happens is that light of God's truth as something gets mixed in just a little bit there, that light of God's truth does not get to shine fully for what it is. And the result in her life and in Adam's life and in ours is that that life is lost. Sin enters into creation and it enters into humanity and it plunges us into darkness and into death. Now, in Ephesians, what Paul has been unfolding for us is that by nature of God blessing us in Christ through the Holy Spirit with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places, that what has happened is we are no longer slaves to darkness but that we have been drawn into the light and he says that because of this we are no longer those who were dead in our sins and trespasses but we are those who have been made alive raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places that the work of the triune goddess is, is in a sense summarized in terms of correcting these two problems of darkness and death And in Christ, you are in the light, and you have truth, and you are alive. But but Paul prays, if you remember from chapter 1, he prays that our hearts, the eyes of our hearts would continue to be enlightened all the more because the light that we have seen in Christ, we do not grasp in its fullness yet. And so we have to continue to be enlightened more and more and more to the light and life of God that is present within us through the union of Jesus Christ. And so as those who are united to Christ, called to live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called, to be a heavenly ambassador of Jesus Christ within this world that is still in darkness and in death, the call is for you as a participant to also be a conduit of light. And life. And guess what, beloved? One of the chief ways we do this is with our words. So we are to put off the old and put on the new. Very specifically here, Paul tells us, very specifically with regards to To our words. First, he tells us that as those who are in Christ, those who are in the light, those who are alive in Christ, we are to put away falsehood and instead speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, very specifically here, Paul seems to have in mind the fellowship within the local church. Now, it is there is no doubt here that Paul uh, would not argue and say, "Well, you only have to be true with one another in the church." He would say that you have to be true with everyone. If with everyone, right? There, there. I'm pretty sure there there may have been like a command that was provided to God's people. I'm um, pretty sure there was about not bearing false witness about your neighbor. What's interesting is even in that command, going back into Exodus 20, where God first provides the Decalogue to his people, he calls his people not to bear false witness on the basis that they have been redeemed from bondage and slavery in Egypt and they have been freed from that to be his people so even there you have what we call this indicative imperative structure that God gives us everything we need in order to help us live out what he calls us to be and to do What Paul does here is he is is working off of this general uh, instruction from God that we are not to bear false witness. And so what does that involve? Well, it involves two things. It involves there are certain things that we are not to do with our words anymore, and there are things that we are to do with our words now. Put off the old Put on the new. By the way, the shorter and larger catechisms help you with this. If you open up to the section that deals with the Decalogue, you will notice that in the shorter and larger catechisms, the divines have arranged it for us in terms of, okay, what is commandment number whatever? What is the ninth commandment? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And then they'll tell you, what does this command forbid? And they'll ask, what does this command require? In other words, what are you to put off? What are you to put on? So if you want help with some specific details about what to put off and what to put on, uh, for those who like lists, feel free to go to the Shorter Catechism and look at the question and answers with regards to the Ninth Commandment. But the point here as Paul is unfolding this for us, is what we are to put off in general as those who are united to the light of the world, the one who came and was called the word of God, as those united to him, our lives are to be marked by truth. And they are not to be characterized by what is false. This is so difficult. We live in a culture right now that whether it is spoken, whether it is digital, whether it is print, we live in a world in which lots and lots and lots of words are being used on a moment-by-moment basis. And because of social media, we live in a world in which everyone's words are getting the opportunity to be out there. There's a problem, it's not what we're talking about today, but where everyone's words are also starting to be seen as being equally valid as if there are no specialists, as as if there are no people who might have a better understanding of something. But in addition to this, we also live in a culture right now that is absolutely polarized. And what this means is that there is nowhere that you can go in cable news, online, online, Or even among your friend groups. Where the absolute truth is known and is the only thing being spread. And the danger for us right now is that are we living in uncertain times? I don't know about you, but they have felt uncertain to me. And has there been a trusted source that has been right about everything? No. And that includes me. I've gotten some things wrong. What happens is when we open ourselves up to these different sources, especially when the sources... We are opening ourselves up to our political by nature and our echo chambers by nature. When we take that information and interact with it uncritically and just start spreading it to the people with whom we talk, beloved, I'm telling you, you are spreading feathers into the wind. When I do this and I do it, This has been a horrible week, by the way. (laughs) You can't preach a sermon on words without thinking about about them. Well, I mean, sometimes I can. Sometimes I can do a really good job of distancing myself from the text. I don't know. You may do that, too. But this week was one in which I was constantly thinking through what Paul's talking about here in terms of being characterized by truth and not characterized by what is false. And what makes this so difficult and challenging, beloved, is quite often the way that we are interacting with these things is very similar to the way Eve interacted in the garden, where we get some of it right, but even what we get right often is also tinged by something that's not right. What Paul tells us here is that we are to be a people marked by what is true because we are united to the one who is truth. And this means, beloved, that we are to actually put effort into cultivating truthfulness. We are to put on In a very intentional way, a desire even to the detail to be truthful. And we are to, in the power of God's grace, as those who are no longer in Adam to put off the old Adam in terms of the falsehoods that come with being dead and in darkness. We are to put Falsehood away, we are to cultivate truth. And if you are going to do this with your neighbor, if you're going to do this inside this church, beloved, it has to begin by you doing it inside your own heart. I think many of us open ourselves up way too freely to things to sources, to ideas that get in the way of cultivating truthfulness. Because what is the temptation of not being marked by a, 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 a pure approach to truthfulness? What is the temptation? Well, information or knowledge, right? as NBC has loved to tell us for years in the after-school specials, knowledge is power. Ideas move things. Ideas form things. They they move things. They, They bring with it either inaction on certain things or they bring with it action on others. Ideas are not stagnant. They are not neutral. And there is nothing neutral within this fallen world. It is either true or it is false. We may not always be able to tell what is the truth and what is false because we are, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we are still in the process of being sanctified in the renewal of our minds. And even as believers, we can still interact with the truth and attempt to suppress it and unrighteousness. And so there is a deep, a deep need for, for humility in us when it comes with interacting with the truth. There is a deep need to be humble as we are interacting with the truth that we believe God has revealed in his word, but especially that truth of God that he has revealed through creation. And that humility, it it needs to be expressed in terms of guarding our own and guarding others' consciences, as Article 20 of the Westminster Confession teaches with regards to the liberty of conscience. We are to be careful with ourselves so that we can be careful with others. Because when we are not careful, notice what he says. When we are not careful, verse 29, there is corrupting talk that will come out of our mouths. It is decaying talk. It is the talk of death. It is the talk of darkness. It is the talk that shrouds the truth. It is the darkness that corrupts the truth. It is the darkness that wounds other people, including wounding our own hearts when we open ourselves up to corrupting talk. This doesn't simply mean you shouldn't cuss. It certainly means to speak with a clean mouth but it is so much more than that. We can take the truth and use it in a passive-aggressive format in which we can take the truth and use it as a hammer to hurt someone instead of using it as as the, 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 the revelation of the light and life of Jesus Christ to build them up. And the talk that we allow in our own minds, the talk that we allow within our own hearts, which all of it is, Jesus says, a revelation of where our heart is, that all of that that internal monologue that is going on within us, it will come out. The way you think about someone in this church will eventually come out in the words that you use to describe him or her. The way you think about someone in your heart will be the way that you interact with them in your fellowship here within this church. The way that you think about someone at work, the way you think about a classmate at school, the way you think about them, the way you ponder them, as you reflect upon them within your own hearts, it will reveal itself in the words that you speak. And what does Paul say here? Those words can either bring light and life or they can bring darkness and death. And remember, those are words in the air that are floating off like feathers in the breeze. You cannot get them back. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be grace to those who hear. Now, notice here, he says, as fits the occasion. This doesn't mean that there is not a time and place to, to go to a brother and sister in Christ and, and have a difficult conversation. This doesn't mean if that, that you are only to say nice things and that we are to walk around with our heads in the clouds and that we're not supposed to observe the, the, the evil that is still going on in our hearts or the evil of our, of our neighbor's hearts that is expressed through their words. It doesn't mean that we have to be naive and stupid. But it does mean that we respond even to those words. We respond as those who put off the old and we put on the new. And sometimes that difficult conversation can be had very gently. Sometimes that conversation might require a little bit of strength. Not every circumstance is going to be the same. So you're not called to be naively here as robots just going around saying nice things. But this also doesn't mean that you, uh, as a representative of Jesus, just get to go around and shoot everybody down and judge them and be a jerk to them and say, well, that's, well, the occasion called for it. In every circumstance, you are an ambassador of Christ And every word you speak is either going to be the bouquet of the heavenly places or it will be the stench of death. And so choose wisely. But you can't wait till you're in the moment of the conversation to make that choice. You have to be cultivating your newness in Christ when you're alone. Cultivating your newness in Christ as you uh, fellowship with God through his word and through the sacraments and through prayer. And as you allow the truth of God to sink deeper and deeper within yourself that you are forming and shaping your own heart according to what he is doing in you through Christ and his spirit. So that when you do have those occasions where you start to think about someone else, you are learning to try not to set the world ablaze, as James says, even in your own heart as you're thinking about that other person. That way when you are actually interacting with them, you can do so as one who is promoting the truth and the grace that they need to build, to be built up further into Christ. Because, beloved, that's what you need and that's what I need. We need to be talking to one another in light of our newness in Christ, in light as those who have been made alive, raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, who now speak with the tongue of Christ himself. That is to bless, that is to encourage, that is to give truth that builds up, and not to give in to the desires of our flesh in speaking words that will make us feel better in the moment by tearing someone else down. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have in this, beloved, is that as those who are still being renewed in Christ, who have not been perfected in our minds yet, you know what happens? There is a hormone that gets released in your brain that makes you feel good when you tear somebody down. When you express your anger, when you express your bitterness, when you express your hatred, we'll get to this, Lord willing, next week, right? We read about it here in the paragraph. When when that stuff is going on within you, within your soul, when you voice it, there is actually a hormone that gets released in your brain that makes you feel better in the moment so that temptation that we are talking about is not just with regards to how we of what we actually say and not just fighting the intentions of our hearts it's we're still even fighting the fallenness of our flesh but beloved the grace of god is so thorough and so complete and so saturating even there the grace of god is your strength the grace of god is your hope so put off the old put off falsehood put off using words uh, to empower things that aren't true stop watching the news and then spreading whatever you hear there quit it i have to quit it so you have to do it with me i need your help Don't let that be the way you interact with information within this world. Caution yourselves and focus on the things that we know to be true. And what we know to be true is this. Whatever is happening out in the world, whatever is being talked about on the news, it is absolutely within the hands of God. And as his children... We are called to live in that kind of confidence with that kind of hope. So that the people who are slaves to to the darkness and who are slaves to death, to those who, who only have the words that they are hearing on the news or on the internet, that they can see that there is still hope in this world, that there is still life in this world, that there is not only darkness in this world, but that Jesus Christ through his church is still saying, let there be light and let there be life in the dark, dying souls of those who do not know him, but who need him. Beloved, the way Jesus says that is by speaking through you. Put off the old and put on the new with your words. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is, it is a grace to have you confront the sin of our hearts and our mouths. Though it does not always feel like grace in the moment, and though often it, it is a difficult thing to wrestle with, Lord, there is nothing more necessary for us to help us continue to humble ourselves before you in order to be lifted up by you. And so, Lord, help us to stop trying to exalt ourselves through the the control and sharing of information. And instead, Lord, help us to rest in the revelatory perfection of your son and to point people to him. Oh, Lord, give us hearts today that that break for people who are in darkness and death and convince us today, Lord, that we don't help them by trying to control and manipulate them with better earthly information. But let us, Lord, be humble enough to talk to these people and to express the hope that we have in Christ and to direct people to him. The one who says, come to me, all you who are heavy, uh, weary and heavy laden, that I may give you rest. Lord, this world is not, as at, re- is not at rest. And so may we present that to our neighbors, to our family members, to our classmates, to those who are on our athletic teams, those at the grocery store, our next door neighbor, whomever it may be. But Lord, may we especially do it with those with whom we have a shared life in Christ. Father, help us to do this so that we will stop setting your church ablaze through the spreading of false information or false accusation. But instead, may we be vigilant for the truth. And so, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart once again. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.